0: Hi, I'm Matt Linder
1: And I'm Monica Hauer
0: This is Flickers
1: Thematic explorations of The good The true And the beautiful In music Now we left off our first episode hearing how Sunlux invites diverse perspectives on their sound In that
0: spirit, we asked our contributors to describe their music Let's listen to what they have to say First up, here's well, Damon Ham.
2: That's a great question because um listening to their music you can't really uh i can't really pinpoint it on one thing um i can say that it's it 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 takes me um it takes me on a journey that's the best way i can describe it you know i come from a hip-hop background and r&b so uh, when i listen to them it's really unorthodox so um That's how I'd have to describe it. It takes me on a journey on every song that I listen
0: to, to be honest. Blake Collier speaks about the evolution of the Lux sound over the years.
3: Well, I would almost have to answer that in a couple of different ways. Um, I think there's a pretty clear delineation between his earlier stuff and his near stuff. Um, Having a full band has... uh, in a lot of good ways changed the sound and changed the way he kind of approaches composition it's not it's a little less um a one man band kind of feel there's elements of it that he doesn't have to worry about anymore uh, repur- repurposing um stuff that he does from other instrumentation so his early stuff i'd say the best description of it is um just as beautiful beautiful kind of juxtaposition of hip-hop beat and uh, electronic music.
1: Crispin had a slightly different take on the hip-hop angle.
4: And maybe this, I don't know if this would be offensive to Ryan, but I think that he is about as hip-hop as, like, Bastille. So in the sense that Bastille... Uses some of those elements and sounds, but is still a, very much a rock band. I feel like it's pretty similar. But if you close
5: your eyes, does it almost feel
4: like nothing changed at all? And if you close
5: your eyes, does it almost feel like you've been here before? How am I gonna be an optimist about
4: this? I feel like. I've I've been listening to Sun you know, since I want to say 2008 or 2010. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm allowed to say these things. I don't I don't know if that actually gives me any
0: <laughs> authority. Okay, <laughs> okay, that that's funny, uh, but let's let's get back to Blake.
3: But the thing I like about how he does it is that. It's always ethereal. It's always beautiful. The tone, the the notes, and what he samples in the background of behind the beat a lot of times is um, operatic, or it's jazzy, or it's um, funky, even, occasionally. So there's different elements, different types of music that kind of come into play. Um, But his lyrics are very liturgical, Um, at least his early... Uh, Lyrics were very, especially that first album where lyrics were sparse uh, in general and they were repeated uh, quite often. And so I think that is, I think he made music that was for meditation, um, that allowed for people to kind of live in the space, the atmosphere, and to meditate on the beauty of the world, the beauty of, you know, truth, things like that. I think since then, um, probably since Lanterns, his music has become a lot more personal, uh, which I I think is interesting for various reasons. But I think that he's become a lot more uh, lyrical. Uh, He doesn't, he's not as repetitive as he used to be. And so he's composing lyrics uh, in a way that he, like, it's almost like the lyrics and the music have switched places where I feel like his early days, the composition of the music was first and foremost, and the lyrics were were a, a meditation element. And now I think the lyrics have become the prime drive for him, whereas the music, he, he doesn't have to do as much uh, since he's got um, a good band uh, to, do, to help him out. And so I think there's there's a shift there, and I think it's become a lot more atmospheric and less, I guess, Hip hop influenced. You don't have as much of a beat um, anymore, especially this last album. It's a lot more ethereal, a lot more atmospheric, and just kind of uh, bathes you in this beautiful noise. The thing that that connects the two, I think, is is his passion for um, making music that gets past our defenses, uh, gets through the noise uh, of our of our minds and hearts, and brings us into a world where we can contemplate what is good and what's beautiful, what's true and gives us a space to, to do that and allows us to, um, to have a safe space, uh, to contemplate those things in a lot of ways. Um, cause once I listen to stuff like yeah, I can't help but kind of get lost in it and, and my thoughts go to various subjects, you know, while I listen. So yeah, it's, it's complex it's very complex music, and uh, he's one of a kind. Uh, I I couldn't tell you a single other artist that compares uh, in complexity to him. So,
1: Jeremy hears their sound as an exploration in contrast.
6: Uh, I don't, I mean, I, do, I think I describe it as electronic, but that's kind of, that's not very descriptive, because it's not, There's, you know, EDM. I think is what most people think of when they hear electronic, or they think of some other type of ambient music. And it's not that, even though all the earlier stuff and some of the most recent stuff is based on samples. But that's I don't I don't know I don't have a better way to describe it. I I think of it as yeah, electronic, but there's there's this organic feel to it bright <laughs> I mean it's it's very there's this balance between brightness and chaos that so much their music seems to be fall between or, or walk this precipice between what it, it to me it sounds like two extremes I mean because I think about how to how to describe because we when I'm sure I'll get asked by other I've been asked by other people you know what If I tell them that they're my band you know what what are they like and so I should have that answer before but it's just such a unique sound I can't think of very many other bands out there that have have a sound that's that's really close to it it's it's so unique and pretty easy to identify part of that is Ryan Lott's voice but it's also the way that he uses the samples and the particular sounds that tend to recur throughout his music there's like certain tones and maybe even specific samples that he uses a lot that as you listen to it you easily recognize
0: Crispin touches on a common misconception about the band sound
4: what I remember from listening to it is I remember thinking oh this is like an electronic album with like a little bits of stuff in there which is funny because if you go back and if you actually listen to it you're like no this isn't I mean, it's not just electronic music. He has lyrics and sing. Like in terms of instrumental, I just totally thought of it as like, oh, this is like an instrumental album, and and it's funny that like that's totally incorrect. But that was like how I first thought of it when I was listening
6: to it.
1: And Jeremy gets to the heart of how Sun Lux design sound.
6: And and I think that's what what is so, again, that's what's so distinctive about his music is he has these. I mean, it's almost all acoustic, organic sounds, from what I've, from what I understand, that he then manipulates. But he doesn't completely take that its organic elements out of it. You you vaguely recognize it as maybe instinctually you recognize it as th- this is a acoustic sound. This is coming from actual vibrations in nature. It's not purely electronic but it's been transformed so much that it's it's hard to say exactly what that original sound was.
0: Chris looks more at the overall structural approach of Sunlux's sound.
5: I would say very, very theatric. Either, like, theatric or a landscape. Because you can kind of live in it. You can kind of feel these large movements of sound that are almost almost like played over uh, by this very tender vocalist I really enjoy how almost fragile Ryan Lott's voice is I think complements really well to these large soundscapes that he's able to build with either full on orchestras or very minimal electronic backing um, yeah so it's, it's very much like very much like a large painting in my mind, you know? There's this uh, painting by uh, David Caspar Friedrich called The Monk on the Sea. And it's just this little tiny like monk in the foreground in this massive, massive swath of dramatic sea in the background. Um, and that's an image that comes to mind when I'm thinking about Sun Lux's music, is that like there's this tiny little voice that's like powerful and stands in the foreground. Um, but it's uh, like effect is like dramatically heightened by this huge soundscape that's behind it. Um, that's really complex and really dramatic oftentimes.
1: Crispin also identifies this architectural element in constructing their music.
4: And, uh, whether or not he can complete it himself, I mean, I'm thinking, I know that he just like draws on so many different musicians, um, that have helped him out to do stuff, which I think is really beautiful. Like to have that vision, um, and not get stuck on like, what can I do? But like, what can I make and what can I create? But yeah, when I think of his music, the other thing that comes up is he just, uh, creates these spaces, right? These this sonic environment that is just wonderful. And so like some of my favorite uh memories with Sunlux is getting a new album, putting on my headphones, and just like immersing myself in that space. And even with this, I just finished an album a month ago and I'm like, all right, that was so much work. I'm never making music again. And then I listened to the new album and I was like, just everything he does is so fun and clever and interesting. And just the way that he plays with all the sounds, it's it's not that he's playing with sounds. It's like he's playing with your perception of what's going on with all the different space, the filters on reverb, like just so many things that he uses that tricks your mind as you're listening to it. It's, you know, just pretty trippy.
0: Ryan, an interview with Curator Magazine, actually confirms what Chris and Crispin are hearing. Quote, My manager Michael Kaufman once said to me that I build great cathedrals of sound, but I needed to fill it with smoke and sacrament. Unquote. And one of those ways, Monica, that he fills those cathedrals of sounds with smoke and sacrament is to inject it with his voice.
1: Yeah, Ryan has a very unique and intriguing voice.
0: Yeah, his voice definitely captures your attention. So I asked our contributors if they could describe Ryan's vocal quality, and this is how they responded.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> oh wow not completely surprised by the response as describing Ryan's voice is a bit trickier than unpacking the band's sound
0: but god bless our contributors they accepted my challenge and attempted a response here's damon it's
2: different uh which is not a bad thing it's um his voice is uh yeah the uh I don't want to say just comforting because it can go in different ranges, um, but um, but I like his voice. But to be honest, I really like his performance um, when he's when he's singing. His performance really uh, really gets me going because his sound and looks passionate. You know when he's doing his music, which is great.
1: Passionate, but as Blake explains, Ryan's voice is also delicate. It's it's unique
3: and that it, it is it's it's almost so fragile it feels like it's on the verge of breaking at times um but its airiness is is part of what draws you in when he sings the lyrics it's like on the first album when the lyrics are a lot more repetitive a lot more liturgical in nature the void his voice was was part of the instrumentation and in since that like when the, when the noise would become chaotic in the songs, you'd hear his voice kind of in the background, like it was being washed out, but then the noise would fade away and his voice came out still fragile. Like it was, it came through the chaos and still fragile, but still there. And so I think his he's gotten a lot more brave uh, in the later compositions um, and he's, Utilized his voice in ways that I wasn't sure he was was really able to do uh, in in the early days, and so um, I would say it's very airy, it's very um, it's very fragile sounding. But when he needs to, he can he can give a lot of force uh, behind it. He can get a lot of feeling and, and emotion kind of tied specifically to each song. I think that's what it, one of the things I like about his voice is that each song kind of has a character to it. Uh, his voice shifts uh, depending on what it, what each song needs, and uh, but I could see how some people just would not get it. <laughs> it's a uh, it's unique, and it's it's probably not for everyone. But if you kind of appreciate the music and you appreciate voice as instrument. Uh, I think you kind of have to appreciate what he does. It's just fascinating to see him sing because he really gets into it and he has he feel like it's like he's feeling the song when he sings and so it's it's just a he's passionate and and it comes out very equally in live and studio recordings.
0: I'm starting to see a theme here with vulnerability and passion. What does jeremy
6: think it's it's that almost it's almost it's not quite androgynous, but it's definitely, it's borderline falsetto a lot of the time. And it's just kind of this, it's not a particularly strong voice. Um, The way that he he sings, it's in a higher register and, and kind of weak, but sounds so sincere. It sounds like it's coming from such a, I, I don't know how I describe it, from a honest place. He, he doesn't try to polish it very much, which I appreciate. I think that's what gives it its authentic, authenticity. It's not particularly polished. It's just, at times, almost a whisper. At times, it's just kind of... Uh, not really, I wouldn't call it a cry, but but almost like a cry. I mean, it has that emotional aspect to it. But it's not necessarily... I wouldn't consider it emo... Although some of the angst <laughs> is very similar to stuff that you'd find in emo music, I, I think e- even when it's not, I think of emo music as screaming. You know, the, the, there's this angst that just can't do anything but scream, and that's not what it is. It's more of a whisper um, than a scream, but with that same level of angst, if that makes sense.
1: Quiet angst. I like that. And I think Chris is tapping into something similar in his description of Ryan's voice.
6: Like from a commercial
5: perspective, just like his brand is really It's It's very uh, memorable and it's very surprising how powerful his voice can be while also being extremely tender, especially his falsetto. I mean, I think that that's been... Well documented and well admired, yeah. Just as a vocalist, I think that he doesn't p- overpower you with like swells of uh, overpower you with like uh, amazing like up and down all over the scale. <laughs> I don't know, like Ariana Grande or like Celine Dion, or a male vocalist that I can think of, but I can right now. <laughs> um, but just uh, very like well placed very tangibly tender, which I think is very naturally emotional. And guess what Crispin thinks?
4: It feels very vulnerable when it is close, when there aren't effects on it, when there's not a lot of reverb, when it feels close, it feels very
0: vulnerable.
1: The common perception of his voice seems to be that it is vulnerable, which I can definitely hear. What do you think, Matt?
0: I'm definitely in agreement With our contributors, Ryan's voice is frail, yet emotionally passionate and brings a deeply human element to these very intellectual cathedrals of sound they've created. Crispin brought up another point about Ryan's voice that I thought was worth visiting. Um, I've had this perception that uh, Ryan is really uncomfortable with his
4: voice, and so I listened to his music with that lens, which I really don't know if that is true or not. But I just had this sense with the first album that he was focused so much on everything else and focused less on his own. You know, you can just basically choose one line to sing over and over and you can hit the notes right. So that's probably just my own projection and thinking about my own music making like process. But um, But that's always been kind of my thought. And so even with a lot of the different ways that he changes his voice, I I've always just been curious, like, do you do that because you don't feel like you're a strong singer? Are you kind of like hiding? And actually with the most recent album, that was something that I noticed is that he uh, had a lot of songs that were his voice was closer, right? So it wasn't drowned in reverb. It wasn't uh, changed in some way. I mean, there's a lot of that, but there was a lot more like kind of close, intimate him singing, which really stood out to me.
0: Funny thing is that Crispin's assumption is correct. Ryan spoke about being uncomfortable with his singing voice on the Spill the Wine, the podcast. I I
7: actually never thought that I would sing um, because I didn't sing. Um, So any ideas that I was recording that I was singing were ideas that I was hoping other people would eventually sing.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, so So you were making instrumentals?
7: Yeah, it was it was mostly instrumental music, but then I had these vocal ideas and I would mm-hmm. record the vocal ideas. Mm-hmm. Um and then I would show friends and things like that. And one of the common responses I got was, Who's this singing? This is really this is really interesting. This is a really cool voice, you know? Right. And I would be like, oh yeah, yeah, but that's just that's just temporary, and
6: like oh, you, you had know. to grow to accept your voice.
7: Yeah, yeah, because I was learning, it and I learned it in the context of the studio, and then later on, as when I started to tour much much later, I started to tour my third record, Lanterns. That's when I started to learn my voice on stage, and um, you know, and it's it'd been a process of sort of discovering what my, my instrument is.
1: So Ryan's lack of confidence in his vocal abilities can definitely bleed through in his delivery and help bolster this vulnerable quality to his voice.
0: Plus, Ryan utilizes that uncertainty fills in his ability to sing well and has developed that into a feature of his vocal quality instead of a weakness. Sun Lux's Tiny Desk performance, I think, nicely displays the passionate fragility of Ryan's voice. So let's listen to You Don't Know Me from that set.
7: You see my face in the stars But you don't know me But you write my name on your walls You don't know
1: me In this intimate live context, the uniqueness of Ryan's voice really shines.
0: And it, it does
1: so excellently.
0: So Monica, we've gone on this journey through the meaning of Sunlux's name the band members' backgrounds, their creation process, and trying to describe their sound, plus Ryan's singing voice. But what we
1: have not covered yet is their lyrics. As a lover of the written word, I am offended it took so long to get here, Matt.
5: You don't know me at all
0: Uh, roll back that offense back a bit, Monica, as there was a purpose of covering lyrics this late in the episode. At a pre-show artist talk put together by Pop Punt, Ryan talks about writing lyrics last.
7: I have always written um, songs kind of backwards and the the same is true with Bones and actually maybe Bones is the most extreme example of this where um, rather than like, so when this building was built, right, they, that we're in, the building we we're in, um, they built the, sort of the foundation and the, the walls, the, the, the primary structure, and then they, they, they moved inward and finished everything, and then eventually, like, they added those lights, and then, like, you know, they brought this table in, and then, like, you know, they b- bought a box of mugs, etc., until it became what it is now, right? And um, imagine building a building backwards where you you ordered a box of mugs, right? And you had him delivered to a field. <laughs> you open the box and then you go, what kind of table, So I want to put this mug on, and then you make the table, or you find the table, and then what sort of rug did you know? And then what sort of room, what size, you know, what other things are in that room, and then where is this is this room in a larger building, and then where is this building? What kind of street is it on? What city, etc., etc., etc. So you you sort of work out from this, right? Um, And what's crazy is like you could go anywhere from here, right? You could literally go anywhere from here. Um, but you start from here and for me working backwards and basically what this means is finding a little tiny piece of sound or a piece of performance or an intriguing mistake in, in, in audio um, that we've tracked um, and You you mine the potential for that little sound um, And you create a world around that sound bit by bit by bit by bit and once then you've discovered um, you know, that world you th- through your imagination and through trial and error and through a lot of work, then it's time to actually, like, build the outside. It's it's time to build the surface that everyone sees when they think of that building. They, they think of the outside of the building. They think of that color. Oh, that's that building that's pink and has a silver siding and, like, three weird-shaped windows on the outside. Well, yes, but there's... That's what it looks like on the outside. To me, that's like what a melody or like what a song is um, for for our music. It's like there's a thing that you see on the outside, and there's there's a way into it. But once you're inside of it, there's this whole other world, and, and that world is actually created first. So melody and lyric, and in some cases, harmony, um, they come very late in the game, um, and the song sort of... I sort of discover the song inside of the world that, you
0: know, that we've made.
1: All is forgiven this time, Matt. I see why Sunlux's approach to lyric writing was explored last, as that's how the band writes their songs.
0: I appreciate that, Monica. Well, we left lyrics for last. Clearly, lyrical content is going to be super important exploring Sunlux's discography. Through the five themes we mentioned in the previous episode.
1: And those themes are prayer, liturgy, salvation, resurrection, and light.
0: And why those themes? I think an interview Ryan did with Curator Magazine is instructive. When asked about the biblical imagery of Sun Lux's songs, this is how Ryan responded. Quote. Christianity continues to provide an allegory analogous to my limited perception of the human condition, but I also recognize its weaknesses as a means to explain everything, or perhaps more generously, its insistence on keeping many explanations hidden from sight. For this, I'm incredibly frustrated and thankful." With that in mind, We'll hear from our contributors each week as they break down Sunlux's songs they thought best reflect each theme.
1: I'm excited to hear what they come up with. As am I,
0: Monica. But you don't have to wait until next week for more Flicker's goodness. You can check out this week's bonus episode right now where we talk about the funk band Ryan played in before he began the Sunlux project.
1: A funk band? Yes, Shout out to this episode's contributors, Blake Collier, Chris Carnotti, Damon Ham, Jeremy Doan, and Crispin Mayfield.
0: Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Help us to get the word out about the podcast by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts.
1: Tell everyone and anyone you know who is a Sun Lux fan and even those who are not fans yet.
0: This episode was produced and edited by me, Matt Linder. Storyboarding and scripting assistance by Amarni Peterson and Monica Hauer.
1: Hey, that's me. I told you I loved words.